picture up here on this PowerPoint slide. But, you know, I went to school for computers and I still can't work them. So, um, <clears throat> anyway, Matthew chapter 1 is where we are going to uh, begin this morning. Matthew chapter 1. I believe it was back in either in March when Olivia and I came to visit for the first time or um, a few months after that when we came to look for a place to live. Uh, I, I believe I preached a sermon on uh, Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and some of the extraordinary characteristics that she displayed in her life. I've always found it so interesting you know, as human beings, we can't choose our parents. We get what we get when we are born into this world. But there was one individual who could choose his parents, and that was Jesus. And there must have been something so special about Mary and Joseph that God looked at these two people and said, these are the two that I want to raise my son, Jesus. Well, Joseph is one of those characters in the Bible, doesn't get a whole lot of uh, publicity, I guess, uh, because it all surrounds Mary and, and the extraordinary circumstances of the birth of Jesus. But there are some characteristics of Joseph that I want us to pay attention to today because I think they're really applicable to our lives. I wanted to step away today uh, from looking at uh, the letter of 1 Peter and tonight from Ezra, uh, to, to focus on a couple of different things. First of all, I love looking at, at, at Bible characters and seeing how they can uh, relate to our lives because they were human beings all those hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, and they, the, the message in the Bible has a lot to do with us. And then tonight I want us to think about a, a pretty difficult uh, topic about whether the Holy Spirit still speaks to us today. I hope you'll be back uh, tonight as we look at that. But this morning I want to look at the life of Joseph, in particular what we read about him in here in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. And the text here in verse 18 tells us that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was betrothed to a man named Joseph. And I think it is helpful as we set the stage uh, for the, this man, Joseph, to understand some things about marriage laws under the law of Moses. There are three stages that two individuals who wanted to get married under the law of Moses had to go about. And the first stage was the engagement period. Uh, this was where two individuals agreed in principle, we're going to get married sometime in the future. Of course, back in those days, a lot of times, it would be the fathers of these two individuals deciding, you know, my daughter's going to marry this man and my son's going to marry this woman. And so they would, they would decide that in principle years before this would ever happen. You didn't get really a whole lot, I mean, you didn't really marry for love back then. You, you had to you got who you got in a lot, of the, a lot of the circumstances. And so this first stage was this engagement period. And this would often happen when they were younger, when they were children even. The second stage in the process was betrothal. And this is sometimes where we get a little bit tripped up because when we think of betrothal, we think of engagement 
uh, the way, you know, our culture looks at engagement. That's where you decide we're going to get married and you make that commitment, you give the ring, all of that. That's uh, betrothal and engagement. But in the first century, betrothal was something a little bit different. This was actually um, maybe even more closely related to the way we think about marriage than to an engagement. This was a binding uh, contract between these two people saying, I am going to marry you, you are going to marry me. And it was binding for those two people. It was almost as though they were married, almost. But this betrothal would often uh, have, you know, this, their intention to marry, and they would declare that intention with oaths to one another, a promise to one another that they would marry. And we know from the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 30 and verse 2 how seriously God viewed oath-taking and during this period, which could last anywhere from a few days to a whole year, the man and the woman were virtually regarded as husband and wife. They did everything but live together and everything that that involved. They didn't live together, they didn't engage in marital practices, but for all intents and purposes, they were husband and wife. And this meant a couple of things. What it meant was, first of all, the betrothal could only be terminated by death or by a divorce, because this was a binding legal thing. You could divorce your betrothed, and secondly, it could only be a divorce if there was unfaithfulness on the part of one of the betrothed. In fact, under the Old Covenant, unfaithfulness was really a capital crime. You could be stoned to death for that. And we know that from Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 23 and 24, that says, if there is a betrothed virgin and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry for help, though she was in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife. Do you see how seriously they viewed this betrothal process? So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And the final step in all of this process, after the betrothal, was the actual marriage. And this betrothal could take, you know, it could take a year, it could take just a few months, it just depended. But they would then become married. And this, this second step of betrothal is where Mary and Joseph are, according to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. And so they are in this legal binding contract with one another. They are promised to one another. And so in light of that, and what we know, what happens next in the story must have been a shock for Joseph. Because it says, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Mary is found to be with child 
she's pregnant. And because they're betrothed, Joseph knows it's not his child. What a surprise that would be for him. And we know from the text and from Luke chapter 1 that Mary is pregnant because of the Holy Spirit. But Joseph, at least right away, doesn't seem to grasp that or understand or, or know that for whatever reason. Maybe Mary hasn't, hasn't told him for whatever reason. After all, we know from Luke chapter 1, verses 39 and, verse 30 and 56, that she was that she had been with her family member Elizabeth for several months during this pregnancy, about three months. Or maybe she has told Joseph, and he's just kind of at this point where it's just kind of unbelievable to him. The text doesn't tell us where he is in all of this. But whatever the reason, from Joseph's point of view, you look at what's happened, and all you can say is, Mary is pregnant, and I'm not the father. And so he naturally assumes that she's been unfaithful to him. And we see that in verse 19 when it says that her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So Joseph plans to divorce her. And right here is where I think we can make our first point about Joseph's character. Because the text tells us here in verse 19 that he was a just man. Other translations use the word righteous. Joseph was a righteous man. I think there are two connotations from this idea of Joseph being just or being a righteous man that, that, we, can, that we can take from this. The New American Standard Bible says that Joseph was a righteous man. My Bible says that he was a just man. And Scripture tells us that Joseph was faithful to the law. He is a believer in the law. He is someone who's going to follow the law as much as he can. And so he's prepared here because he's found out Mary is pregnant. He doesn't know who the father is, but he knows he's not the father. He's prepared to take the legal measures that the law provides to him by divorcing her in verse 19. And so I think in that sense, he is a just man or he is a righteous man. He's going to follow the law according to what the law has given to him. He's going to put her away quietly. He's a righteous man in that sense. But the second way that he's a righteous man or a just man is in those two words right after he resolves to divorce her. You know what it says? He resolved to divorce her quietly. He's a righteous man because he obeys the law, but he's also a righteous man because he's a compassionate and merciful man. Verse 19 tells us that he was unwilling to put her to shame. What a beautiful thought. Now I want you to think for a moment about just how remarkable that idea really is. 
Joseph is operating under the impression that the woman he cares about, the woman that he has promised to marry and promised to take care of, that he's made oaths to, that they are going to be husband and wife, that she is pregnant with the child of someone else. And though the text doesn't tell us this, I find it hard to believe that he wouldn't have been devastated by all of this. Absolutely crushed by this. I mean, if any of us were in his shoes, wouldn't you be angry? Wouldn't you be hurt by all of this? And yet the text tells us that he was unwilling to put her to shame. Joseph was righteous according to the law, but he was also compassionate with her. And when you think about the old law of Moses, uh, according to what it said, according to Deuteronomy chapter 22, he could have divorced her in front of everybody. He could have made this a public spectacle. In fact, he could have taken it any, even further, and if there were you know, two or three witnesses, according to the law, she could have been put to death for what he assumes has happened. The one who was unfaithful, if put away like this, and it could have been done publicly, they would have been humiliated, they would have been shamed in front of all the people. And yet Joseph is unwilling to put her to shame. And he decides to divorce her quietly. I wonder sometimes if we would act with that kind of mercy and grace if we are wrong. Even sometimes when we're wronged in maybe a less personal way than Joseph feels like he has been wronged. Would we have the kind of mercy and grace that says, I've been wronged, but I'm not going to make a public spectacle of this. I'm not going to make it so that everybody knows. And, you know, my first inclination might be, look what this person did to me. This is wrong. I want you all to know exactly what kind of person this is. Would we have the kind of grace and mercy that Joseph has for Mary. Joseph did. It's because the text tells us that he was a righteous man. But not only that, we find out that Joseph believed in God. Not only was he a righteous man, but the rest of the story tells us that, that he believes in what God has to tell him about this situation. That's what the text says, beginning in verse 20. Beginning in verse 20 where it says, but as he considered these things, as he's thinking about putting her away quietly, it says there in verse 20, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Joseph is contemplating what he's going to do. He's thinking about putting Mary away quietly, and then this angel of God comes to him in this dream. And he tells Joseph, you don't have to worry about taking Mary as your wife. You don't need to be afraid to take her because she hasn't done anything wrong. 
She is pregnant because the Holy Spirit has made her that way. Her pregnancy is remarkable because she is conceived through the Holy Spirit and God comes to Joseph to comfort him and to assure him and to take away his fear, which, by the way, God does for us constantly. There are moments in our lives where we're kind of like Joseph, where we're trying to decide what we need to do, what, what course of action to take, and it's scary and it's frightening, and God through His Word, finds a way to comfort us and to assure us to keep pressing forward. And God does that for Joseph. He comes to him, He comforts him, He assures him. And God goes on to tell Joseph that this child that Mary is carrying is a remarkable child because he's part of God's incredible plan to save people from their sins. But what happens next in the story is entirely up to Joseph. God's told him, you don't need to be afraid. But Joseph has to decide, I'm going to keep going along this path with Mary. He has to decide whether he's going to continue divorcing her or if he's going to go ahead and marry her. Is he going to choose to believe the word of God that has come to him in this dream or not? What would you do in that situation. I'd like to think that, you know, if this happened to me, I'd believe it right off the bat and just go with it. But I don't know that I would. I'm not entirely sure we all would. After all, how many times in our lives do we, you know, have the Word of God right before us and we still don't listen to what it has to say? But Joseph believes in God. He believes the word of God. And we know that because in verse 24, it says that when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He takes Mary as his wife. When she gives birth, he calls the baby Jesus, claiming this child as his child. I think it's astounding the level of faith that Joseph has in this message from God, in this dream. Oh, that we would trust the Word of God that much. So he believes in God. But not only does Joseph believe in God, Joseph is a devoted servant of God. And because Joseph believed in God, he decides that he's going to obey God. And this tells us that Joseph is a good servant of God. He doesn't stand around questioning what God tells him to go do. Verse 24 just tells us he gets up and he obeys the word of God that's come to him. He makes Mary his wife. He puts away the fear that he could have had. He makes Jesus his adopted son even though he's not his biological child. Because that's what God told him to do. And he believed it. He believed in God. And I want, to, I want to stress to you that believing in God and obeying in God here would have been difficult for Joseph. You think about the scrutiny that this whole situation would have put him and Mary under. You know, you have Mary who's pregnant, 
And from the way the, world, the, the rest of the nation might look at her, she's you know, been unfaithful to Joseph. And so the world is going to look at her and they're going to you know, shame her and look at this whole situation and go, how could Joseph stay with her? And Joseph isn't going to escape from the shame of all of this. People are going to look at him, are you crazy? You know, you've decided that you're going to keep with this woman who has been unfaithful to you. That seems unreasonable and crazy to us. That guy is ridiculous. And under that culture, not only would people have said Mary shamed herself in all of this, but that she also shamed her betrothed by going and doing this. People would have been extremely hard on Mary. More so, probably, than on Joseph. But he isn't going to escape it entirely. Or think of another circumstance where Joseph obeys the word of God in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, it says, Now when they had departed... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. This is another circumstance where God comes to Joseph and the circumstances surrounding this are dire because Herod wants to kill Jesus. He doesn't want there to be another king. He doesn't want there to be someone that you know the Israelites are going to follow after. And so he comes up with this plan to kill all the babies two years and younger because doing the math in his head, he figures Jesus got to be somewhere in that range. And so he sets this plan into motion. And God comes to Joseph and he says, this is the situation. I want you to take the child and I want you to take his mother and you're going to leave and go to Egypt. Think about how hard that must have been. Not only is he saying you need to get out of you know, Bethlehem or Nazareth or wherever they are. You've got to get out of the country. You've got to leave your homeland. You've got to go to Egypt to escape what's coming to, for Jesus. And Joseph obeys. He believes in the word of God and he obeys. It says there in verse 14, and he rose and took the child and his mother by night. I kind of get the picture that as soon as this word from God comes to him and it's over, he gets up right then and there and he, he gets on the road. That's dedication to the word of God right there. No, no, no dilly-dallying around, no questioning, well, Maybe I got to do this. What if, I, what if this happens? No, he gets up right there and he gets on the road with Jesus and Mary. Joseph's obedience leads him to leave his country, leave whatever job he had, and to live not just for a couple of months in Egypt, but they live in Egypt for years. What a remarkable servant of God. And again, we're faced with an uncomfortable question for ourselves. When we're faced with these hard situations, and we will be faced with hard situations that challenge our faith 
and challenge our resolve and belief in God, what are we going to do? What are we going to do in those situations when our faith and our belief is challenged by the, the difficulty of whatever decision and choice that we have to make? I'll tell you, for someone who has so little written about him in Scripture, and Joseph has very little written about him, the depth of his character floors me. That I can look at my life and I can see time and time again where I don't live up to this example of, Jesus, of Joseph. Where I was faced with a difficult situation in my life and I had to make a decision whether I was going to trust in the Word of God or not. And I probably took longer than Joseph did to come to the right decision. What a remarkable man who was chosen by God to be the father of Jesus. Well, obviously, there are times that we struggle to follow the example of Jesus in our own lives. And I think there are a few applications that we can take from the life of Joseph that can help us in our service and devotion to God. And the first is that we need to be looking in God's Word, discovering how we can become righteous men and women like Joseph was. And I mean righteous in the sense that Joseph was righteous. Remember, he was righteous in that he was faithful to the law. He was willing to go about the process of the law, but also righteous in the sense that he was merciful and full of grace for Mary, with Mary. And I think that's the way that we are called to be righteous. You think about the passage over in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. We have this passage that deals with those who are caught in transgressions. And here in verse 1 it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Here in Galatians chapter 1, I think the implication from restore the one who has transgressed is that we are to deal with that transgression with the end goal of restoring that person. We want them to come back. We want them to turn their back on those transgressions. And if we are to be righteous people, we can't ignore sin. We can't overlook it. We can't, you know, see somebody in a problem and just go about our day like nothing's happening. We have to be aware of sin. We have to deal with sin. But at the same time, how are we to deal with that sin and with that transgressor? It has to be dealt with, but we have to have righteousness and mercy and grace as well, in compassion, in love, Again, there in verse 1, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. When someone sins against us or sins, we can't, you know, we can't ignore it, but we are called to be gentle, to aim for restoration. It isn't our job to obliterate and ruin someone who does us wrong. 
And a lot of times, that's how we want to go about things. When somebody does something to me, I just want to make sure that they get everything that's coming to them because that's what's fair, that's what's just. What we learn from the example of Joseph and what we learn from the words of God is we've got to have compassion and mercy for the one who has transgressed. Yes, we've got to deal with the problem, but we deal with it in gentleness so that they come back to a, a, a right relationship with God. Joseph was righteous towards a woman who he thought had betrayed him in the worst possible way. We need to be righteous as well. We need to learn to be righteous. But secondly, what we learn from the story of Joseph is that we need to trust God's Word more. This is tough sometimes. It's something that I don't think we take advantage of enough. We need to trust God's Word, or we need to believe in God's Word more than we do. What God tells Joseph to assure him that Mary has been faithful and that he should take her as his wife is exactly what God has told us to assure us of his faithfulness and his comfort. Did you notice what he tells Joseph? This baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and he's going to save people from their sins. Isn't that what God tells us through His Word? Doesn't He tell us that this child was born from the Holy Spirit and He has come into this world to save people from their sins? That's exactly what God's Word emphasizes to us over and over and over again. And that should be a great comfort to us and that should be assuring to us to keep on believing and to believe more and more and to have more and more faith in God. What he tells Joseph, he tells us. So why is it so often that we go our own way and we forge our own paths and we rebel against the Word of God? I'll tell you, the reason that we do that so often is because we have trouble believing. We have trouble believing in the Word of God and in His and in his assurance and comfort. We might understand on some level that God exists, that, that there is this uh, all-powerful being that is over all things. But if we don't listen to him, if we don't sh really show that we believe what he's said, then just believing that he exists isn't going to do anything for us. We have got to trust what he has written for us here in this book. This next application, I think, is important because we live in a world that, you know, wants to fill us with fear. It wants us to be afraid and to run looking for some place to find comfort and shelter, whether it's in human beings or in institutions or whatever it might be, but the reality is, from the example of Joseph, we learn that we need to let go of the fear that we might have. And hopefully, as we begin to trust in God's Word and His will a little bit more, we begin to lose some of the fear that we have. Scripture is full of the words, do not be afraid, don't fear, I am with you. And over and over again, the reason that people in the Bible were told you don't have to be afraid is because of God and what God has done. 
Notice over in Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1 and verse 30. Luke chapter 1 and verse 30. It says here, and this is the birth of Jesus being foretold to Mary. It says, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. Why? For you have found favor in the eyes of God. That's why you don't have to be afraid. It's because of God. Or Luke chapter 12 and verse 32. Luke chapter 12 and verse 32. Fear not, little flock. Why? For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Why don't you have to be afraid? Because of God and what God has promised. God reassures Joseph as he's contemplating, you know, putting Mary away, and I'm sure this would have been a, a difficult thing for him. He reassures Joseph, you don't have to be afraid to marry Mary. Because God is bringing about his purposes through her. This is God's plan. And because of God, you don't have to be afraid to obey. And so if we're going to follow this example of Joseph in our devotion and service to him, we've got to let go of our fears and our doubts and allow God's comfort to drive us forward, to keep us walking down the path. In Revelation chapter 12, or chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, to the church in Smyrna, the Lord writes, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. God tells Joseph, don't be afraid to take me. Because what's going to come from your faith and your belief is something unimaginable. Something that's going to affect the entire world. All of those who are lost in sin are going to be affected by what your adopted son is going to do when you take Mary as your wife. What does that say for us? If we let go of our fear, what Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10 tells us, there is a crown waiting for those who let go of their fear and cling to the Lord. Whatever comes, whatever difficult situation, whatever comes, we can let go of our fears because God will give us the victor's crown at the end. And finally... If we're going to follow this example of Joseph, it leads us to this place where our belief has to be put into action. And we've got to obey the word of God. God assures us of his faithfulness and provides us the comfort that we need to let go of our fears. And so when he gives us our marching orders, just like he gives to Joseph, we need to obey. And we need to be the kind of people that don't, you know, begin, uh, you know, 
having trouble deciding to obey God. We need to be the kind of people that when we see what we got to do, we get up, whether it's the middle of the night, like Joseph, and we go down the, that path. I know it's hard sometimes because we're li- commanded to live contrary to the world. And that in its very nature is a hard thing to do. There are a lot of people in the world. And the direction that the world wants to go is very easy to follow. But we are called to live contrary to it. And that is very difficult to do, but the result of obedience to God is astounding. It is an incredible thing when we obey God. Uh, Now understand, if Joseph had decided that all of this was too much for him, and he decided, I can't do this, and I'm going to go about my own way, God still would have brought about his purposes one way or another. But in strictly human terms, Joseph taking Mary as his wife became part of the greatest story ever told. An incredible testament to this man. What that tells me is that God does incredible things through people who obey him. And God will do incredible things with you if you will obey him. Who knows the impact that you can have by obeying him? There are people in the world who you can display God to by obeying him, even when it's tough, in front of everybody, and there may be someone who is affected by that. You can become part of the incredible story that God is telling throughout all of history. You have to obey. That's a critical part of all of this. And so in a world that is so wrapped up in the self and getting my own and vengeance and I'm going to get mine, we need to be a little bit more like Joseph, the father of Jesus, who displayed such characteristics that made him part of the greatest story ever told. If we can take from the story of Joseph and apply to our lives these principles that he teaches us, that the Word of God teaches us, we can be part of the greatest story ever told. If you're not a Christian today, God calls on you to obey him and to believe in him and by being baptized into his name, and we urge you today to make that decision. When you do that, you become part of that story. And it is an incredible story that begins with Jesus and with God and ends with those who have faith in him and who follow him all the way, gaining the victor's crown in the end. We want you to enjoy that and and everything that comes with that. And if you are a child of God and you're struggling in some way, we want to help you. We want to get you back on that path that leads to that crown. If there's anything that we can do for you this morning, we ask that you come forward as we stand and as we sing together.